Normally, I'd have some sort of witty, jokey counting stat for Mark Marquez in Germany. This time, I haven't. This time, all I can say is, it's the end. No, really, it is. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Couldn't say Marquez's dirty dozen. That's so disappointing. Oh, hi everybody. I'm Dre Harrison. Welcome to episode 451 of Motorsport 101. And uh, it's uh, it's an interesting time to talk MotoGP after a eyebrow raising German Grand Prix, to say the least. We're still picking up the wreckage of a dead Repsol Honda littered around numerous. the circuit. Yeah, numerous dead Repsol Hondas because they were borrowing shit. To, to rebuild Marquez's bike that many times. But uh, this is going to be a bloodbath. I make no bones about this. Episode 451 is going to be all about the 2023 MotoGP German Grand Prix. And uh, we have a lot to talk about here. So I'm not going to waste too much time here. But first, introduce my co-host first, the still morning Cam Buckley. <sighs> yeah, I'm here. What do you want me to say? <laughs> the biggest Honda man of the three of us here. He is going. He has I'm been done. going through it. <laughs> I am done. Honda is done. Mark Marquez is done with Honda. Takanakagami is scared of Honda, and Rins and Mir. Well, they're just not even here anymore. Yeah, Alex Rins missed the obviously obvious reasons. Still recovering from the broken leg. Yoan Mir turns out the hand injury he suffered in Magello was a little bit worse than feared, so he's missed this round too. He's going to try and come back for Assen this weekend. Um, and Mark Marquez, well, he didn't take part in the German Grand Prix because he crashed six times, including three in one session. That's that that takes some doing. That's that's a rare one. RJ O'Connor, what did you make of it all? How can we be so downtrodden about this? I mean, look at the finish that we got. The reigning champion of the world, Pekka Badnyaya, gets the upstart pretender, Jorge Martin, who's been nearly two years since his last win. And Martin, after all the pressure and all the doubts, finally gets back on the board with his second career win in an incredible photo finish. The fourth quickest, the fourth closest finish. In the modern history of the four-stroke MotoGP era, how could you not be be in love with that? These things are not mutually exclusive, RJ O'Connell. Yeah, I guess. Right. I really wish it was as simple as that, but at the same time, it really isn't. We're going to talk a little bit about obviously Jorge Martin and his fantastic double victory over the weekend. Um, welcome to the title race, young man, because uh, it's suddenly just got a lot more interesting. It's like literally playing Smash, and you hear the new challenger approaches siren. Um, <laughs> Yo, it's Ridley. <laughs> Ridley was going to be too big to be put into a Smash Brothers game. Yeah, so he shrank him. They fought wrong. Um, anyway, we'll also talk about, obviously, the state of Ducati because uh, Jack Miller plays a very special role in the German Grand Prix. Do you want to know why? Because he was the only man who stopped a Ducati clean sweep of all eight of their bikes finishing in the top eight spots. So go out the great Porsche Motor Company from 1983. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. yeah. 
Not quite. Uh, not. It took me ages to get that reference when you mentioned it on Sunday, and I was like, oh, that. Uh, that, that was me. I'm still catching up on sports card knowledge. I'm, I'm getting we'll get there. there. Slowly, slowly. But uh, we'll talk about that. And, of course, the big one, Mark Marquez, him not taking part in Germany. And, well, seemingly. Can you blame him? Seemingly the, the end of an era because uh, if you ask any pundit that's worth a damn regarding Marquez in this sport, we've all pretty much come to the same conclusion. It's Jova. It, at least it certainly feels it's that Albert way. It's Albert over. You've, yeah. All of that in the next hour or so. I'll save the social media till the end of the show on this one because I want to get straight into this. Right after this, the 2023 German Grand Prix. It was an outstanding weekend for the young Spaniard, doubling up with a dominant sprint win and a narrow Grand Prix win over Francesco Bagnaia on both occasions. The latter he won by just 64 thousandths of a second, as RJ alluded, the fourth closest finish of the MotoGP era uh, since 2001. With it, he moves to just 16 points behind Bagnaia in the title race. We said, why not Bez? So... Why not, Martin? Well, why not? I suppose the difference with this Martin run and what we've seen in the recent past is that this year he's on equal equipment to the factory right. Ducatis. Last year, the Premax got saddled with the unloved, unwanted, and discarded true GP22. And while the factory went to a less aggressive engine spec for last year, Premac got stuck with a bike that was frankly trying to kill both riders. It was crazy because we all thought the factory team was just like, oh, God, what are they smoking when they did this? And it's like, actually, it turned out it great. Took, it, it took a few races for them to get their uh, get their ducks in a row, but they did get there. But armed with equal equipment, I mean, Martin hasn't always been able to keep the bike upright this year, but when he has, he's been extremely quick. Just ask yeah. Alex Marquez on that one. Oh, yeah. Um, before, before or after he's been speared by someone. <laughs> God. Um, but then this is only his first win in two years. He's going to need more than that. He's going to need more than that against Pecco. And, I mean, fair enough. Pecco threw the house at him, and he went back into the back room and got the kitchen sink in response. Yeah, it's uh, it, like Banyaya admitted after the race that in the sprint he was way too conservative. He he, he was he looked after the he, rear tire too much, is what he said. It's like he got to second and then he kind of, like Martin had already kind of scampered up the road a bit. He yeah. kind of just let it go. <laughs> yeah, Banyaya was just like, well, I'm just gonna play it safe and take the nine points for second here in the sprint. And in the Grand Prix, he uh, he unleashed all of his power. And uh, yeah, it. <laughs> I, I, it was a very impressive weekend, especially in the Grand Prix from Martin. This, I, I, I've said, and I, again, I, I, I joked about this at Magello when I wrote about it on the website. I, I put a whole list together of who is the number two man in this championship. Because I had question marks about a lot of people. I eventually came to the conclusion that Jorge Martin was your best shot. Is the highest ceiling, the most potential. Yeah, and this was Martin passing the first major test. This was him beating Banyaya straight up, clean as a whistle, no questions asked. 
on raw pace and racecraft alone. And Not I have to completely say, clean between those two. Well, yeah, it was a little bit naughty from Martin on on the penultimate lap. There was contact. Uh, forced Banyai to sit up, and he lost about half a second. My man was parking on every single one of those apexes. I said Banyai just fired it up the inside when suddenly had nowhere to go. Yeah, it was like I've said before. The final quarter of the Saxon Ring is an, it's a very interesting one. You're breaking uphill, and you can do one of two things. You either you either defend the inside like your like your life depends on it, and and defend the block pass attempt, but you also risk getting passed on a sweeping line on the run to the line you can lose a race that way in MotoGP it happened to Valentino Rossi a few years ago when Sete Gimenao hit him with the up and under and beat him over the line it's a very short run to the line but because it's uphill you can win a drag race that way but Martin placed his bike in such a way where Banyaya actually tried that trick and Bumped into the rear wheel of his of his bike. Very lucky it wasn't a huge accident for Manyaya because normally when front wheel faces rear wheel, the rear wheel always wins. Um, and luckily he was able to continue. We're about uh, two inches away from Johan Zarco inadvertently getting a win. Right. And even no, Zarco... No, he still had to complete the last lap. Uh, uh, no, just don't tell him he's in first. Don't tell him he's in first. He'll be good. And the funny thing is, is that Johan Zarco almost binned it at the first corner of the final lap, just keeping up with them. Look at Brady's first win! <laughs> oh, my uh, gosh. But, uh, yeah. you know, for me, <laughs> the why not Bez thing also applies to Martin. Yeah. Because I'm we convinced. asked. Well, no, well, that's the problem. We asked why not Bez. And Bez hasn't really shown us anything since, not consistently. I mean, he was in the lower half of the Ducati uh, freight train that ran over the Saxon ring over the weekend. Um, but Jorge Martin, on over a single lap, might be the fastest dude here. Certainly equipped with this bike and certainly equipped with a bike that he can exploit, unlike last year. <laughs> but he's got the speed. Can he keep the bike upright for enough of the year? That's the That's kicker. the question. He's good enough now to the point where he can win on merit alone. And he's one of the very few people in this field who can do that. Um, the issue has always been his consistency and can he keep this bike upright in the clutch? That's been the problem with Martin since he got to the top flight. He is more than good enough to be able to keep this going. The question is, is that has he has he got it in him? Because I look at Bez and I go, Bez has two wins on the year. Bez is also a poor pack racer, and that's his problem. He uh, can't if, fight if, back from a low position. If Bez qualifies even on row three, he's in trouble because he can't get to the front of the queue fast enough. It's like yeah, Zarko's got this problem as well, where Zarko in open air at the end of a race is as fast as anyone. But His tire management is the best in the field, but the problem is it takes so long that... He yeah, gives up too said. much at the star races. He's a fine-tuned yeah. machine that turns heightened expectations into lowered expectations. He, yeah. he's, he's evil Jack Miller. He turns, <laughs> he turns he keeps worn tires and extends their life rather than taking fresh tires and destroying them. But right. he also he blows very cold to start a race. Um. Yeah, that, that's kind of all I really have to say on the lead battle. I mean. Ducati, eight, nine, eight of the first nine bikes home. 
Mm -hmm. Nobody's perfect. Hey, I also need to point out still that Jorge Martin has every one of Pramac Racing's MotoGP victories. All two of them. Both of them. Both of them. I Yeah, we could debate all we want about whether it's good that every principal player in this title fight rides a German-backed Italian motorcycle, and I have a feeling that we will, but I do like the potential three-way dance that we're having. Call me when Johan Zarco wins a race. That will talk. If you could combine Zarco's floor with Martin's ceiling, you would have God on a motorcycle. You really no would. No kidding. Well, we no already kidding. have God on a motorcycle, but even well, God apparently gets tired. Yeah, well... Unfortunately, uh, too much blood for the blood god. It was supposed to be the last hope. But for Mark Marquez, his second home would become a total nightmare. Mark Marquez would crash six times over the course of the German Grand Prix weekend, including three times in a damp qualifying session. And then on Sunday in the warm-up, a final crash where he broke his finger and led to him withdrawing from the race and leaving early despite being declared fit enough to ride we talked about this earlier mark marquez has effectively lost four years of his prime mm-hmm. after the sight of him crashing and gesturing the heavens what do i need to do to turn this around Trey, i'll start with you is this the end of the era of honda and mark marquez something that i never would have imagined. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's Jova. It's 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 over. It's Mark Mark over. It's it, this this is. I thought rock bottom was this time last year. This time last year, me and Cam sat on this very server and we screamed for an hour, and we we beat our heads against the wall over Mark Marquez not being there after surgery, his fourth surgery on his arm, Stefan Bradl's foot getting burned off a hot chassis, Paula Spagaro pulling out of the race after suffering rib injuries in the middle of a race, and mm-hmm. and no t- Honda t- scored a point in four. That was the first time in 40 years Honda hadn't first scored a point in the MotoGP race. Since, first time since they tried to bring an oval piston bike to a two-stroke fight in the late 70s, yeah, early 80s. And- um, and now like, we 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 found the uh, way to dig even lower. Dre, Cameron, what is Mark Marquez's average finish at the Saxon Ring? It's one point something. It's one point zero zero. He's never hey. lost a race here, and he still has not lost a German Grand Prix, and, which he has entered. But he did take part in the sprint. Mm-hmm. And he rode the bike into the ground for a few laps to f- collapse through the field and re- and figured out there's no reason. I he gave he, up. the most stubborn, persistent, broke slash rebroke slash was surgically broke his arm four times to get back here. That man gave up. He openly said between qualifying and the sprint in his head, mentally, he gave up and he realized he wasn't going to ride a stupidly over the limit just to finish in seventh. Seventh. He finished, he finished 11th. And he finished 11th in the end on the road. In the sprint. He qualified now, seventh despite crashing three bikes. And if you want to know how relations are between Honda and Marquez at this point, 
the bike tried to pitch him heavenward in practice, and he looked down and flipped it off to the camera to see. There is nothing left. It's and... only my second funniest middle finger gesture of the weekend, but we'll get to that in our next episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Willpower is always good for a quality double bird. Um, I mean, what is there to say that we haven't already said before? Um, um, I, I mean, mean it's, we can start so... with asking, you know, where could he possibly go after this, right? Because it's like, this relationship's not working out. Who, else, who the hell else has room? Well, um, not much for next. I mean, he's locked down next year. I mean, it's so bad that there are legitimate rumors that Mark will buy himself out of his contract, which would cost him 26 mil out of pocket. <laughs> I paid $26 to do, million dollars to, to not a, come to work. That's the number I've heard floated around is 20 is, is, is in the region of 26 million euros, 26 million schmeckles. To get to away from this out. bike. Yeah. Uh, because uh, at I this think, point, yeah. Dre, three of the riders, uh, uh, let's let's look at the state of play for Honda's riders. Yeah, as Rins as a whole, is probably sure. done for the season. At least through the summer break. Easy. His leg is shattered. Mir, done until further notice. Also broken. Yep. Mark Marquez, broken finger. Probably could have ridden through it if there was something worth a damn to actually that was actually on the other side of the race. And Takanakagami, who re-crashed himself and re-hurt his hand that he hurt last year, and he said, Oh well, the the X-ray showed no fractures, which is very good news. So you have three people with broken bones and one who's thanking his lucky stars that he doesn't have any broken bones. Dude, Taka, Taka just come to JSB 1000. I'm telling you, Takanakagami Nagasuki is not going to win championships forever in that championship. Takanakagami saw Honda, the Honda high side mark off the bike. It turned six. Six into seven. When's the last time you saw a, cra- a bike crash at turn six here? Never. The two-stroke era? When it was an NSR? And he looked down and thought, I'm on the same bike. I'm not going to push this race. Nakagami said he was openly scared after seeing Marquez's sixth and final crash in the warm-ups. Because no one goes down that turn six. No, no. one. It's a complete and outlier. In a warm-up. It in wasn't a, a question of pushing. You know, you have Fabio Quartararo talking like, hey, props to Mark for continuing to try on that thing. Because that's <laughs> Pretty much just that's the state of play. A Japanese motorcycle, Dre, a Japanese motorcycle did not finish in the top 10 for the first time since 1969. Not Not nice. nice. Not nice at all. The last time a Japanese bike wasn't in the top 10, Abbey Road came out. The last time we had a top 10 without any Japanese bikes was at the 1969 Adriatic Grand Prix at the Opatija Street Circuit in Yugoslavia, a country, country which doesn't exist doesn't anymore. Exist anymore. Oh God! I mean, we. It's, it was. All, it's it was also. So it was bad. also. Yeah, it was also Ducati's first win at this at in at this race since 1995. Oh God! I mean, it's just how has it gotten this bad? Well. D- 
I, I could, if you really want me to, read out my very creative timeline of how we got to this point. Give me the bullet points. Give me the bullet I, points, it, because it's gone on a while. Like, okay, because because it got to the point during this weekend where a lot of F1 pages and a lot of mainstream media kicked up about this. Um, and Mark Marquez, because if you look on social media, the man is the man's a star. He has more social media than any MotoGP rider, and it's not particularly close. I mean, either. he's the most successful individual. He's the second, like, he's the second most successful individual in motorsport of the modern age. Right, right. and. You got to go back for me. The, for me, the, the cracks really started to appear around 2018. So I start from there. So buckle up, everybody. Um, if you're maybe not the, the most knowledgeable of bike fans out here, uh, why would we buckle up? It's bad if you're on a motorcycle. Maybe if you're in a car. Silence, O'Connell. <laughs> um, anyway, like 2018, <clears throat> and this is me being narrator Dre for a moment here. Repsol Honda is a formidable MotoGP team. Marquez has won three of the last four MotoGP championships since entering the top flight. Danny Pedrosa is, an ex- is still an exceptional teammate and a key hand in developing the bike. Alberto Puig becomes Honda's team boss. By Mugello, he announces he's moving Pedrosa on for Ducati's Jorge Lorenzo. It hits that much harder when you realize Puig was the man who scouted Pedrosa as a child and managed him through his incredible junior career, winning three world titles. And sacrificed Nicky Hayden at the altar to make sure Pedrosa got all the best bits back in the middle of the 2000s. Nicky Hayden, former world champion Nicky Hayden, God rest his soul. It forced Pedrosa into announcing his retirement from the sport in Germany. Brackets, it's always Germany. Hmm. Signing Lorenzo at the time did make some sense. He was just starting to get the hang of the Ducati after moving the fuel tank around on the bike so he wouldn't get arm pump anymore. But Lorenzo was a free agent after Ducati decided to sign, I'm checking my notes here, Danilo Petrucci instead? Okay, that was a bad... fucking stupid. That was a bad move on their part, but Lorenzo was still signed as an elite rider and potential title contender on the right machinery even after leaving Yamaha. 2019 happens. Mark Marquez puts together, in my humble opinion, the greatest season in the history of motorcycle racing. 2019 had 12 wins, just one short of his all-time record of a single season of 13. 10 pole positions, 18 top two finishes across the year. What was his lowest finish that year? Oh, it was second. Yeah. He didn't finish a Grand Prix lower than second outside of Kota, which was a mechanical problem when his engine braking system failed. It was a 420-point record-breaking season. The music record was 383 by Jorge Lorenzo in 2010. Marquez had 420. Nice. Very nice. (laughs) Do you want to know how many points Jorge Lorenzo had that season? I know the number. I do too. It's 28. Mark Marquez won a triple crown for Honda by himself. More or less. <laughs> More like, or less, yeah. Repsol Honda won the team's title by 13. But, but keep but in he mind, yeah. in 2019, Honda made a decision with this bike. They were fed up being the Honda Motor Company, and they don't call it the Honda Motor Company for nothing. Mm-hmm. So. They got fed up with getting drag race to the line by Andrea Davizioso every four races because the Ducati was just that much stronger in a straight line. Mm-hmm. So they took the bike. They took the engine. They put an engine that would 
give Ducati a bloody nose into the existing bike, knowing what it was going to do to its handling. And they told Marquez, you will have a bike that can beat the Ducati in a straight line, but you're going to need to deal with what it does to everything else. Safe to say he did that. Remember that. It becomes very important later. Now, Actually, it becomes important shortly. Very shortly, actually, but I'll get to that. End of, 20, end of 2019 comes along. Jorge Lorenzo at Valencia, the final round of the season, has a shock announcement to make on the first day. He's retiring. After a miserable season and a crash yeah. at Aston that broke his back and caused him to miss four races, Lorenzo said he had reevaluated um, the risk of being a MotoGP rider because at one point he thought he might not be able to walk again after the broken vertebrae he suffered at Aston. Everybody's oh, sad. Everybody understands that, you know, it's been a tough year. And Lorenzo is an all-time MotoGP, great one of the, probably the five or six greatest riders of all time. He hangs up the gloves. Even Lynn Jarvis comes down and says thank you, even though they weren't on Thank the you. best of terms um, after his time at Yamaha. Remember that. It also becomes very important later. Now, because of the shock announcement of Lorenzo retiring, because nobody saw this coming, Honda has to scramble around to find the replacement. Enter Alex Marquez, Mark's brother, who had just won the Moto2 Championship. Um, and everybody screams Nepo, Nepo higher. Uh, because of Except course for Ryan is. Harrison, of course. Of course. Brother Ryan loves him. But uh, unfortunately, uh, it, 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 it screams accusations of nepotism because, oh, it's the Marquez brothers at the Repsol Honda factory team. Also, during the off-season while Marquez celebrates winning his eighth world championship across all the classes, he signs a four-year mega extension, 100 million pounds, allegedly, plus of the value in that con in that contract. So it's the biggest contract extension in MotoGP history. Marquez openly said at the time, looking back on it now, he thought it was going to be four more championships. So he thought, well, why not tie himself down for four more years? This is a winning partnership, and he's just had... One of the greatest MotoGP seasons ever. 2020 happens. First, the world stops. First, well, before we even get to that, Honda has a torrid preseason for two reasons. One, Mark Marquez just had shoulder surgery again. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he's not 100% fit. And the new aero package that they make remember that it becomes very important later mm -hmm. is so disjointed and so bad and makes the bike so unrideable that they bin it entirely and go back to the 2019 arrow. Yep. And they fire Alex Marquez before he turns a wheel in anger. Yep. Because the world stopped. No, yeah. that came out before that happened. Yeah, the, the, like the Qatar test was in February. This was before the world stopped and turned in for a bit. Yeah, um, essentially, Alex Marquez had one test session in Qatar, and Puig thought, you're not good enough. We're going to say next year you're being demoted to the customer LCR Honda. Later on in the year, they would announce that Paul Espargaro would take his place um, on the Repsol Honda factory team. Spoiler alert, he's not very good. But uh, yeah, that's one thing. Uh -huh. Then, oh, remember Jorge Lorenzo who I mentioned earlier? He's back. Loren Jorge Lorenzo buries the hatchet with Yamaha and rejoins the factory as a test rider. You could, There's literally shots of him 
arm in arm with Valentino Rossi, helping each other out, develop the 2020 Yamaha that would go on to challenge for the championship. Um, oh, and they also announced that he's going to be a wild card at his home Grand Prix in Catalonia later on that year. So tired uh, to get away from this bike. Sean Michael lost his smile and then he found it. Yeah. Jorge <laughs> Lorenzo, for all intents and purposes, faked his own retirement. Now, as a result, like now, the only reason why Lorenzo didn't ultimately come back was because of the pandemic and the fact that Dorna had banned wildcards that season. But Lorenzo was set to compete in Catalonia in September later on that season. Whoops. Um, the season starts. You know what happens in the first round in her ref. Mark Marquez puts a wheel on the paint in a furious comeback from 15th to second and breaks his arm. No one tries to stop him from from riding again on a broken arm five days later for the repeat running for the Andalusia Grand Prix. Because Honda knows, oh shit, we're in trouble. The guy, the only guy who can make our bikes competitive just snapped his arm like a twig. No one stop him. He's our only hope. Yeah, like, like, do you know that scene in the mo- in the movie Snatch where Mickey gets up at the ground at the last minute in the final boxing fight and knocks him, knocks the guy out, and then he goes, goes now, "Now, now, we are fucked." Yeah, that 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 was Honda. That point in time, right there and then, no one tries to stop Marquez from coming back five days later. Um, eventually, Marquez stops on the Saturday because the pain was too much. But eventually, the plate that was put in his arm breaks, and he has to have a second surgery to reinsert the plate after Marquez aggressively opened his bedroom door. Yeah, with the plate being weakened by the fact that this Honda is such a violent bastard to ride that he's having to use all of his strength and then some just to keep the thing on the ground. Right. Um, And then he needed another surgery because, well, that plate got infected. Yep. So he had to have ultimately three surgeries before the year was out trying to fix this arm. Remember that it becomes very important later. Now, the rest of the season for Honda is a write-off. They give Takanakagami all the development to try and spearhead some sort of title campaign out of whatever they've got left. Saka actually does okay for most of the season until Aragon, where he qualifies his first his first MotoGP pole position, but then openly admits he bottles it and crashes on the first lap. First corner on the first fucking lap. Taka! Yeah, yeah. Taka's title campaign falls apart after that point. Um, mm. As Yoan Mir goes on to win his first championship for Suzuki. He, he also becomes important later. Now, Marquez comes back in 2021, but not until the third round in Portimao. He comes back to an emotional reception. I think, it, I think he finished seventh that first race back in Portimao. Um, Immediately outperforms every other Honda. Yeah. Polis he still got it. Yeah, Paul Despagaro was poor that season. One podium finish was 12th overall. And I describe it as, quote, another notch on Honda's bedpost of failed hires trying to create a more balanced team. <laughs> Again. Later on in the year, Marquez would still go on to win three races, including his 11th win in the country of Germany and back-to-back wins in America and Misano. He's so fucking back. 
the latter being a one-two finish with Repsol Honda with Polar Spagaro second after Francesco Vanyard crashes from the lead. A familiar tale, which we'll get to later. Um, just when we thought Mark was back to 100%, he has a crash in training, which gives him double vision, and he has to miss the final two rounds of the year. Okay, not the end of the world, but there's some hope here. You know, Marquez has come back, and he's ridden well for the most part. 2022, last season, Honda announces they've completely rebuilt their prototype with an emphasis on making it more user-friendly. All the Honda riders love it, besides a still not 100% Marquez. I'll get to why in a minute. And there's promising Qatar to open the season as Paul Spagaro finishes third. Genuine third. Marquez fifth. There's hope in the camp. Hopium. How long, how long did that hope last, Dre? One round, um, because they get yep. back to they get back to Europe and they get back to Portimao and it's the same old problems. No grip. Oh no! Oh no! It's not the same old problems. It's worse. Yeah, there's no grip because on the bike. It's incredibly difficult to ride. In trying to make a bike that more than just Mark could exploit, they made a bike that suits nobody. <laughs> yep. No one's happy. Paul Despargaro, who spearheaded the development of this 2022 Honda, is a minor point scorer at this point, while Marquez can only manage top sixes as Yamaha and Ducati take over at the front of the sport. Because in the meantime, there was a heated title fight between reigning world champion Fabio Quattararo and up-and-coming upstart Francesco Bagnaia. It all comes to a head at Mugello, where Mark reveals a bombshell. He's been riding in pain this entire time. Why is that, Dre? His arm had twisted 34 degrees as it healed. (laughs) My dude won three races in 2021 with an arm that was 34 degrees out of rotation. He's been in pain this entire time, and it's gotten worse and worse as time has gone on. He's lost all muscle memory in his right arm. He's had to change his riding style just to adapt to the constant pain. He was under painkillers every weekend. He's smashing the other three Honda riders into the ground on one arm. On a bike that is fundamentally opposed to everything he is as a rider Mm. in trying to build the quote-unquote Paul Espargaro bike. Yeah, Mugello was a somber weekend because the Thursday he announces this is going to be his final race weekend because he's now going off to the Mayo Clinic. Yes, that Mayo Clinic in the US, probably the number one clinic private practice in the world to have a fourth career-altering surgery to fix his arm because if he's openly said, and he said it in the Mark Marquez documentary since, if this doesn't work, he promised his grandfather he would retire. It's all or nothing. It was like I remember this, he finishes 10th that final race in Mugello and the whole paddock is patting him on the back saying, get well soon. They mm-hmm. knew how much this meant. They knew what was at stake. Marquez misses six rounds while his arm is repaired. He comes back fully healed at Misano. It's just about getting the muscle memory back. Again, he's a top six rider the moment he comes back. He has a wet pole position at Mategi, a brilliant second place finish at Phillip Island, his 100th top flight podium finish in, in MotoGP. And yeah, Honda actually gets a bit of, gets, gets a bit of luck, gets a good news. Well, they profit massively off Suzuki's collapse. They inherit their riders. You know, Yaman Mir goes to the factory team and Alex Rins, who was, as Ham was often said. He's hotter than fish grease to finish 2022. It's a stroke of luck. Honda's got now arguably the best ride lineup in the sport. 
And they picked up the technical director out of Suzuki as well. Suzuki, who made throughout 2022 in their last year, really the most benign, easy to handle bike in the field. By the time they get to Valencia, it's already been said that no one likes the 2023 prototype design. And Marquez openly says, one, I need a winning project to stay here. And two, if this is the best you've got, we are not winning the championship next year. Yeah. Which brings us to 2023. And you know, and if you've been listening along, you now know most of the story about our Honda's been this year. Yep. It started off with an unlikely pole position, which got got a whole lot of us hopeful. Oh, yeah. And that hope didn't last much longer either because... To paraphrase John Boys from the history of the Seattle Mariners, Mark Marquez doesn't doesn't need to do this, but Mark Marquez only knows how to be great. As he hits the the floor in Portimao, trying to exert 12 tenths out of a bike that can't give it. Yeah. And that's pretty much been the story for all of their riders. Um, Rins had an extraordinary win. That will probably be the last the last real result he gets all year because he shattered it. The bike tossed him off and he shattered his leg. That was at Mugello. That yeah, was at Mugello. Yeah, Mir has already crashed 12 times this season. He's already missed three races this year. He was, he was injured in Argentina sprint. He was injured again at Mugello sprint. Um, and he has finished one race this season, and it was in 11th place. Yeah, and Mark Marquez has finished no feature races this year, including yep. the one that he stood down for this mo- this past weekend. And in the meantime, he's been able to fight for podiums at mm-hmm. times, but he's having to ride at 12 to 13 tenths to do it, and it's officially hit the point where there's just no more he can do. It's so crazy to think that, like, Mark Marquez, even when he crashes out, he immediately raises his value on his next contract. He proves that, like, I'm worth this, what I'm getting, and more. Because the only other thing, I mean, the bike throws you off when you're pushing. It throws you off when you're not. It throws you off during warm-up. It throws you off in the wet. It throws you off in the dry. Taka Nakagami (laughs) has gone on record and said he is scared to push this bike. He is just going through the motions to get to finishes. There, this is it. This is this is rock bottom. It, and, it, 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 it won't get long, any other than this. It was simmering. I, I, honestly, you could almost go back to 2015, where Honda produced a bike that, while fast, was just very, very difficult to control, and it just simmered under the surface for long enough where. Mark could make the difference. Mark could. I mean, I went on the record at the start of this year and said, I've never seen a bike that's so bad that he couldn't bulldoze it into complying, that he couldn't ride it hard enough that he could get it to win. This is that bike. This is it. This is rock bottom. We don't get any lower than this. If to answer RJ's earlier question... I think his best shot is if he buys himself out of his contract and he goes to Grassini next year because Fabio DG Antonio probably isn't good enough for a seat going forward. Um, I mean, Ducati's only motivation to get Mark Marquez on one of their bikes is make sure none of the other manufacturers have them on have him on one of theirs. 
It is, but at the same time, if you then have what is on paper the worst Ducati in the field, smashing the factory team's teeth in, that's not going to go down well. No. Uh, they, they, you, you don't want the guy on the on the previous year's Ducati to beat you. And that's, it, that's the that's It the should fear. not end like this. It, it really it, shouldn't. It was never supposed to. But, I mean, at the same time, you also have KTM who... Jeez, Jack Miller's talking a lot of shit for a guy who did nothing but shit talk his bike back when he was riding a Honda. Okay, to be fair, we just spent time talking about how out of control the Honda was. Remind me, what what team did Jack Miller just get fired from? Ducati. Right. Mm, Next question. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you got me. Aprilia's not all there yet. KTM's not all there yet. Yamaha's. I think it's KTM. If it's. He can't go there next year. Having to play gymnast roster gymnastics just to get Petra cost on one of their bikes. They got enough problems. Mm-hmm. They have enough problems, but man, is Jack Miller the guy who's going to go win you a title when he couldn't do it on a Ducati? No. No. He's not that guy. And Brad Bender, bless his heart, he is trying. He is trying. But I don't know if he's that. He is most of the package, but he is not the complete package yet. He's getting there, though. Not on that bike, though. Mm. No. Not over a season. No. He's he's an outstanding rider. He's a genuine top five rider on the planet. He's not him. Not yet. And And at the same time, I mean, you look at KTM right now and you think, the KTM is probably, I would say it is the second best bike because Aprilia have badly flattered to deceive this year. Yeah. Um, Vignalo's had a horrendous weekend. Yeah. Engine, uh, his bike blew up as well. <sighs> and he, cra- he, well, he crashed it, then it blew up. Yeah. It's like he hadn't crashed at all in an Aprilia, and then he's crashed three times in quick succession. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just brutal. thinking, like, after this, let's say you do lose Marquez at the end of th- that contract. Who the hell else? Who who does Honda get honestly to start a rebuild phase? I don't think they get anyone willingly. I think they probably reshuffle who they've got. If you if you have your existing lineup, you probably pick Rins up, put him in the factory team. Yeah, and you you, you and take then, the, you take you take the best best rider available who wants to who wants maybe to ride on Ayagura, pair him with Nakagami because. I don't see much else happening there. And, oh, but I've always been, been horrible in Moto2 this year. No, he broke his wrist. Broke, he's, he's, only, he's only just now beginning to show a couple of flashes of what he previously was. And I also feel like even if it doesn't do anything, there's going to be some changes at the top of, of Repsol. I already can have see. been, though. Uh, what, they, fired, uh, they fired their technical director going into this year. Alberto Cleek's got to be nest if this doesn't turn around real quick. I know it won't even do anything in the, long, in the short term, but it's just like, yeah. That guy's that guy is taking fall for this. They need a complete ground up rethink of their entire MotoGP operation. Yeah, the team, the bike, the way that they approach going racing. Because really, the what it comes down to is that the Honda and to this, a similar extent the Yamaha. They're twenty. I, I think Van Man put it very well. They're they're twenty sixteen bikes smattered with wings and ride height devices right whereas the ducati and now especially the ktm is beginning to show a lot of that same refinement it's it's more like two wheeled f1 
yeah, where the whole like, platform is designed in unison. And KTM got help from Red Bull to help design their aero. Yeah, decent aero department. Um, the, the, the best on the planet. <sighs> yeah, and, and they're still getting their ass beat. They're still getting slaughtered on a weekly basis. And they have an F1 team in their back pocket. They have the best F1 team in their back pocket, and they're getting curb stomped. Yeah. Ducati have been the only manufacturer, and we'll transition to this very nicely in a minute, uh-huh. but Ducati are the only manufacturer who, remember, are backed by VW. They've poured a lot of money into this. They have been the ones that have taken the sport forward in the last five years, have pushed every needle and every envelope as to how we've gotten to this point where MotoGP now is essentially two-wheeled F1 with a similar regulation package. And ironically, the same problems that Formula One has on many levels. Yeah, I mean, it's Matt Oxley, who we reference on here, one of the best writers, one of the best writers in the whole MotoGP media group. Um, and he described it, Mar- Marquez is trying to get a MotoGP bike to race two-wheeled F1 cars. And at the end of the day, that's just... It's impossible. You're not, you're not going to fight. You've got by a bike that can that can only really break on one wheel trying to face bikes by breaking on two you've got a bike with arrow stuck on trying to fight bikes where area arrow dynamics were part of the design brief from the beginning i know nobody likes dominance in any form of motorsport unless you are a fan of said dominator but is this good for the sport no in my humble opinion I think it's it is very weird in the context of MotoGP, but not so weird in the context of the dominance we often see. Because look at what we're seeing in F1 right now. Red yeah. Bull is just beating that ass black, the same color as their car. And, nobody, and, and people who aren't Red Bull or Verstappen fans hate that real shit. mad about it. But yeah. what we haven't seen in MotoGP is a type of dominance where the way the team the way the, in this case of multiple teams, the entity being Ducati, the way that they're achieving it is damaging the sports product at large. In this yeah. case, all of the arrow and the overloading of the tires, which Michelin is trying to fix. They are testing a new redesigned front mm-hmm. slip. Um, and the ride height devices, the way they are achieving the dominance is having a profound effect on the racing product at large. Oh, but and you gotta I let him cook. That's... You can't stifle innovation. Well, yes, we can. Not, not when you've written the rule book so that the innovators can say, "Well, no, you can't take this away from me." Yeah, and, and this is the thing. The problem. We've talked about it on this show many times. We're deadlocked. Like, if we want to get rid of shapeshifters and if we want to get rid of of the arrow that has made this sport what it is today, Ducati would have to agree to it. And if you're a turkey, why the fuck are you voting for Thanksgiving? I um, am so tired. I as a as a voting rights as a pro voting rights person, <laughs> why are we giving the turkeys the right to vote? I understand felons. But why? <laughs> why are we giving so many turkeys the right to vote for Christmas? Well, and that's just it is that, you know, if it was the same way in F1 where one team can deadlock everyone else out of a decision. We'd all we'd still have a grid full of blown diffusers and V8s. Yeah, <laughs> or in Ferrari's it, case, V12s. Yeah, exactly. And it's like we are politically deadlocked. The only other way would be if the sport 
as a whole decided that these right these devices were fundamentally unsafe and while we think there is certainly a body of evidence that suggests that um the sport doesn't seem to agree so uh well yeah, the sport deadlocked. needs to agree and a fair amount of the sport is gonna go well i don't care that this bike just I, I don't care that this bike just hurt me it's still faster than everything else, so I'm still going to keep riding it. And, and I need to make this point, because a lot of people were like, well, at least Ducati's got like eight race winners on their roster. No. No, they don't. They, they, they don't. They have you three. Don't, you, don't, you don't have to stretch this truth to make this pill easier to swallow. Let, let's let, go let's down break, Let's, let's go break this like down. It. Yeah, let's, let's, let's we, go in we reverse got, we order. Go, and we got Jorge Martin, who just won. Marco Gazzecchi, yeah. why not Bez? We got Anea Bastianini, who has been a winner before. He's not been healthy lately. He's just come back from injury. Yeah, right. his his year more or less ended before it began, thanks to a uh, Luca Marini through the side. Luca Marini's yeah. been fine, but not you know a championship. Not race the, the other guys have not proven themselves able to win races. I mean, Fabio DiGiantonio just had his best weekend in the sport. And he was still cleanly the worst Ducati. And his seat is probably up for grabs. With good reason. Johan Zarco failing to win races is a weekly meme at this point. Now it's Marquez, man, just cannot get a break. So I would say, like, at this stage, you have four, three, four, four as long as uh, Bastianini's healthy. Right. So we're waiting to give it a weekend. I would say so. But at the same time, you also have to look at Bez, where Bez has won two races this year. But now that the GP23s are properly in their stride, we're probably going to see the year-old Ducatis begin to fall by the wayside a little bit, which we have done in the last couple which of races. Which we are seeing, because Bez is now 34 points off the top and is almost a whole weekend back now. Yeah, now it's really a fight between the factory, well, in this case, the one, because again, Bastianini is not healthy. Yeah. Really, the fight for the top five has consisted of Peko, the Premax, and then insert KTM here. Yeah. Breaking up the monotony. On, on, a, on, a, on a good day. Yeah. On a good day, you might get Brinda you might get Binder or Miller involved in that, like mm-hmm. we got in her F. Yep. Going back to that like Porsche poster that I've referenced a couple times already, you know, at least with the nine five six and nine six two, a bunch of different teams can win in various different championships. Not so much the case with Ducati right now in twenty twenty three. No. Yeah. Well and even then, I mean Oftentimes, the 956 wasn't the fastest car. It was just the car that was actually built as a goddamn endurance racing car, Lancia. Tank. Uh, good old German tank. But, yeah, I mean... Who's here for one manufacturer dominance, though? Like, look, even in the alien era, which I still say is MotoGP's dirtiest secret we all like to ignore because we know we never really acknowledged it as a two manufacturer. We acknowledged it as the era of the alien. And we well, loved it. Because you had four riders on a pair of orange bikes and a pair of blue bikes who could go beat the fucking shit out of each other on a given weekend. Right. And then occasionally you'd have a guest appearance from Casey Stoner or for in the case of 2007, the season of Stoner. Yeah. Um, that was the difference. That It was two manufacturers annihilating the rest of the field or in the case of the customer bikes, just giving them their spares and their garbage parts. Yeah, from their, back. their last year bikes and late upgrades. And, and it's been worse. acknowledged that Honda and, and Yamaha have treated their customers like shit over the years. Why do you think they all left? Why do you think the last Japanese customer team in the sport is LCR, who really are factory two? 
They get yeah. factory equipment, they get factory support, and they have two factory riders. They're barely a customer. They're the customer and only name. Um, th- back then, you had two utterly dominant manufacturers, but they were pretty much evenly matched. Mm. And their riders were evenly matched, and they would go hammer and tongs for a whole season with one another. Now it is really, does Pecco win? Does Pecco bin it? Yeah. And that's, I mean, I mean Sunday I'm, was a very entertaining race, yeah. but that's just a very small sample size versus what we've seen for the rest of this year, which is really just one rider, one very dominant rider, and whether he can continue the domination that he really should be showing or whether he makes a mistake. Oh. And that's... And in mm. the middle of all of this, Yamaha is still 13 points behind Honda. Thanks, Alex Rins. Yeah, yeah. Because Fabio Quattararo and Franco Morbidelli, well, we can confirm their participation. And that's about it. Fabio was 14th and was almost beaten by Tacker on the final lap of the race. <laughs> He's being beaten straight up by Franco Morbidelli, who in the past week has said, I'm not sure if I want to come back to Yamaha. His only lifeline in the sport. So are we seeing Frankie and World Superbikes next year? Is that it? Mm. Oh, God. Hey, hey, at least Yamaha won something this weekend. They Frank won the 24 Mor- hours of spa for bikes. Yay. Yay. You know, I think Frankie on a VR46 Ducati would be pretty sick. Yeah, but why would you drop either? It would be really sick, but why would you drop either of their riders right now? Unless somebody gets moved up. Gentlemen, are, are there any good vibes going into Assen? It's TT Assen. It's the big one. It's no. the big one, and I am expecting an exceedingly processional race because last year's race was kind of whatever, too. It, it was the Alasia Spargaro show. It was, yeah, Alasia Spargaro actually showed up, and that was about the only notable thing about the race. Yeah, and was- this year... I'm going to be real with you. I don't think Aprilia is springing any more surprises. Nope. It's going to be a matter of which Duke can stay with Banyai. It was Bez last year. Bez was right there with him the whole way, but Bez could never get close enough to the win. And honestly, whisper it, Banyai is crashing a lot less than he was. Like, it's getting to the point where you might consider Kota was a bit of an outlier. It's... He... he you know, he's he, been... got, he got two out of his system, and then, well, now, like, there is no external threat other than other Ducatis. Yeah. Um, Aprilia are not a threat. KTM are not a consistent threat. The Japanese, well, they're a threat to whatever crayons are in danger of being eaten I'm going right to be now. real with you, representatives of Honda and Yamaha Motor Corporation, ain't nothing, nothing going to solve this declining birth rate. Sorry, declining form of MotoGP. Uh, they they might have to start cloning people to like, have a stockpile of bones. This shit's bad. Yeah. We're trying here, folks. We're trying. It's a shame because this was a genuinely great race. You should go out and watch. This was a very, very good MotoGP race. It, it was hot. an excellent race that was emblematic of everything wrong with the sport right now. Yep. Both of the those, best way I could put it. Both of those things can exist at once. MotoGP is back this weekend with the TT at Assen. It's the last round before the summer break. Um, and I think MotoGP needs a summer break in general, to be honest with you. I think Mark Marquez will love a vacation. 
He needs one. I think we all need one at this point. Basically, you can find us before we get out of here. Motorsport101.com is where you can find all of our episodes as well as some bonus written content from yours truly. I talk at length about that entire timeline we mentioned during the show and then some um, about the state of play in the sport as well as Formula One, as well as IndyCar, which we'll record later on this week. Uh, you can follow our personal Twitters at Dre underscore WTF1, at CBuckley917, and at RJ O'Connell. The pod itself is at Motorsport underscore 101. Instagram. Instagram page is also Motorsport 101 Pod. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're back later this week to talk some IndyCar. And a, and a, depending on who you ask, a classic, depending on how many overtakes there are in a race, because apparently that's the judge of quality these days. But we'll talk IndyCar at Road America, where a barista has decided to hammer the field again over a video blogger and a podcaster. More about that later on this week. But until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. And until next time, sayonara. Later, y'all. It was nice knowing you, HRC. No, recently it hasn't been. (laughs) They don't. Call it the hard to more company.